so glad that you are here. Looking forward to our time together. If you are here today, it's likely that you know a little bit about what Easter is all about. As the story goes, Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he remained in a grave for three days and then rose again. We gather on Easter Sunday to remember his resurrection from the dead. Now, the temptation at this point would be to say, yes, well, that's really good news for Jesus, but that doesn't make a real big difference for me tomorrow. He is raised from the dead, yet I still attend funerals. I still go to doctor's appointments. What, what hope is there in this for me? And someone might be tempted to say to you, oh, well, here's the hope. The hope is that one day, whenever you die, you will have hope of resurrection, and, and it's all about what happens in the future. Now, that person would not be wrong. It is certainly true that Jesus' own resurrection guarantees our future resurrection, but what difference does that make today? Does the resurrection have any benefit today? That's what we're going to explore this morning for a few moments as we turn our attention to Romans chapter 4, looking at verses 23 through 25. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I'll read the passages that are here. But we're asking this question, how was the resurrection good news for you today and not just in the future? And this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, the words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Would you pray with me as we consider this passage and this question of how the resurrection is good news for today and not just for the future. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each and every person that is here. Lord, they are loved by you. They are made in your image. Lord, whether they are regularly a part of a congregation or if they are just seeking things for the first time today, you love them and they're valuable. We pray that they would know that they are loved. Lord, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we consider your word, that you would guard me from error, and that you would bless your people. We ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So turning our attention back to Romans 4 just for a second, it begins with these words. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone. And you may be thinking, well, what is that even talking about? It might not be immediately obvious when you look at the passage, but who's in mind here is Abraham. For those of you that are wondering, Abraham was the father of the people of Israel. His offspring were those that would be promised to be a great nation. The problem was when he received that promise, Abraham was about 100 years old and his wife was about 100 years old. So if the promise is, I'm going to give you an offspring and I'm going to make you a great nation, but you're a little bit on the older side, how does that promise get fulfilled? Well, Abraham thinks, ah, I'll fulfill it in my flesh. And so he goes and he has a relationship with his servant. 
And God comes back and says, no, 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 that's not how we're going to fulfill this promise. I'm going to fulfill this promise through your wife, Sarah. And so what Abraham did is he believed. He trusted that God would fulfill his promise. And God did fulfill the promise through Isaac, and a great nation would grow out of that. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 4. It was credited to him. This phrase that he says was not written for him only, but also for us. It is referring to how God related to Abraham. When verse 23 says, it was being credited to him. It is speaking of Abraham's faith in God that he would fulfill the promise that he made to him. And as a result of Abraham trusting God, God counted Abraham as righteous before him. In other words, Abraham was accepted before God. He was declared righteous, not as a result of anything good that he did, not as a result of obeying the law, but on the basis of his faith in God. Abraham trusted God and was accepted by God. And that's what our passage, verse 23, is referring to. So here, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome and he tells us, it was credited to him, that is to say, his faith was credited to him. And this was not written just for Israel. It was written for us. Well, then what's the significance for us, Paul? Here, the significance here is that it teaches us how God relates to us on the basis of faith, not our performance. Isn't that good news? It's very good news that God relates to us on the basis of us laying claim to who he is and what he has promised to do as opposed to us having to perform and keep the law. If we would be accepted before God as righteous, it is not by our effort, but by faith in the promise that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ, which we're going to consider in a few more details later. But for now, what we need to see is that just as Abraham was declared to be righteous before God based on faith in his promise, so also we... If we believe as Abraham Abraham believed, we too will be counted as righteous before God, not based on our works, but based upon our faith in him. Now, the question is, is, is that true for every single person that's here today, regardless of whether they believe? No. As Paul would say, this truth of what faith is credited, where faith is credited as righteousness, it is for those who who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you want to stand righteous before God, then you must believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You must place your trust in God alone if you are ever going to stand before God. And the reality is, is we all know deep down within our souls that we will one day stand before God. God and give an account of our lives. We will stand before a God who knows everything that we've ever thought, every deed that we've ever committed, and we will give an account to him. Every conversation that we've ever had, he knows. Every text message that we've ever sent, he knows. Every word that we've ever spoken, he knows. 
every search you've ever performed on the internet, he knows. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows everything. But not only does he know everything, this one who knows everything is absolutely, completely righteous and holy in himself. He even says that he hates unrighteousness. And that one day you and I will stand before him and give an account to answer for everything we've ever thought, said, or done. Who will be able to stand before God on such a day? It's a little bit of a crushing thought, right? How does it feel to know that your deepest, darkest, most hidden sins could be exposed by God in heaven's courtroom? Where the evidence of your guilt would be overwhelming. And you go, well, I don't really know if I like that vision of God. You know, I, 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 I don't want to think of a God who's actually going to hold me accountable that's actually holy. But the reality is, is deep down, you want a God like that. You want a God who is just. The very fact that some things in this world outrage you. And sometimes you look upon something in this world and you go, that's an injustice. That ought to be fixed. That ought to be addressed. As you watch some of the news of what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on around the world, you look at that and you go, that's wrong. Someone ought to do something about that. The fact that you respond that way is a reflection of the fact that God has implanted eternity with a moral sense upon your soul and you know right and wrong. It's the thing is, is... We just don't want to feel like we're wrong. We're okay with everybody else being wrong. We're okay with those bad people being faced with the judgment of God, but not me. And that's not how justice works. That's not how holiness works. So the question is, is is there any hope for sinners like you and like me? Because we recognize that if our sins come before a holy God one day, What's going to happen? As we continue to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, here's what we find, is that there is hope for escape from the judgment of God. Verse 24 tells us, But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, or who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. In other words, if we, like Abraham, place our trust in God's provision, in the promise that he has made to us in Jesus, then God will regard us as righteous before him. There is a means, an opportunity of escape from the wrath to come, but it doesn't come by cleaning up our lives or having a greater resolve to just behave better. We do not make ourselves fit to stand before God on our own efforts. No, if we would stand righteous before God, just as Abraham stood righteous before God, it must be on the basis of our faith, which comes as a result of God's grace, and specifically as it relates to putting our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, the one that God raised from the dead. If we place our trust wholly in him, according to Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, God will regard us as righteous. He will treat us as sons and daughters who belong to him by faith. He will declare us to be righteous before him, not because we have obeyed and behaved well, but because we have believed. 
And because of believing and trusting in what God has done in Christ, we will be saved from God's judgment. That's good news, but some of you are asking, how is that just for a judge, the judge of all the earth, to clear the guilty? If, if a judge did that in our community, you would, you would, you would say, we've got to get rid of them. It's not just for a just judge to look at a guilty person and say to that person, you're righteous, you're not guilty, go, be free. That would be outrageous. So how is it that God can look at people that we've already established are unrighteous and then say to them, I declare you to be righteous on the basis of your faith in me. How does that work? Continue to read Romans chapter 4 verse 24 and 25, which tells us that Jesus was delivered over to death for his sins. Anybody make sure you're paying attention. Did Jesus die for his sins? No, he died for our sins. So, so the guilt that I've incurred before a holy God, Jesus goes and dies in my place, in your place. So God is just and justifier in the sense that he is most definitely going to deal with sin. And what he does is he deals with it by the penalty, the judgment that your sins and my sins deserved being paid for by Jesus Christ himself. The eternal prison sentence that our crimes of treason against this most holy God deserve are served by Jesus in our place. What we deserved, Jesus took upon himself that we might be forgiven if we place our trust in him. This is wonderful news, right? I mean, if, if you were standing in the courtroom of heaven and you knew that the verdict was going to be that you're guilty and the judge comes back and says, hey, you're not guilty, you're free. And you go, how's that possible? And he says, someone took your place. You'd shout. You'd get excited. You would think, this is the greatest news I've ever heard, that someone has paid the penalty of my sins that I might go free. But here's the thing that I want to pose to you this morning is, is, how do you really know that God accepted Jesus' work on your behalf? How do you know that Jesus really paid the debt that you owe because of your sins against God? We know that this blessing comes through faith and not by works, but how do we know that the offer is valid? I mean, it's a really good offer. It's almost too good to be true. Someone else paid for my sin. Someone else did my time. Someone else gave their life in my place. I mean, how do I know that God actually accepted this sacrifice on my behalf? I mean, here you are telling me, preacher, this morning that if I place my trust in Jesus, one day when I stand before God as judge, he's going to declare and speak over me what I already know in part now, that because I've trusted in Jesus, I am righteous on the basis of faith. How do I know that's how it's going to go down? Because once that goes down, I'm not going to be able to call you up and tell you that you were wrong, preacher. It's going to be a little bit late for me to correct you. It's a great offer, but it's one of those offers where the company disappears after they've made it, right? How, how is there proof 
that my sins, that your sins have truly, completely been paid for. How can we be certain today that Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf was accepted to God? Is there any hope? Any any indication that God accepted Jesus' work in the place of sinners? That if true would make me reorient the entirety of my life? There is. If you continue reading Romans chapter 4 verse 25, you will find that it says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and then what? Was raised to life for our justification. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is at least in part God's declaration of his acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Let me see if I can illustrate that for a second. In the context of the Old Covenant, that's what we kind of know of as the the priesthood and the Levites, and it was was pretty bloody stuff, okay? For every sin, there was a particular sacrifice that had to be made. And so what the people would do, kind of in a community, they would gather around the, the tabernacle or the temple complex, And the great high priest or the priest would walk in and he would walk in with the sacrifice that the people had brought. And it was really interesting. That priest, he wore bells. And as he walked through the temple, the people knew that as long as they heard the bells, the priest was serving what happens if the bells stop? People, what happened? Did he get atonement for himself like he was supposed to because even the priests were sinners? And then he moves from another place. Okay, no, he's still serving. He's still working. But then sometimes the bells completely stopped. And the priest would not come out of the Holy Holies. And the reason that he didn't come out is because in that moment, his sacrifice and his own service had been deemed unfit by God. And God judged him and killed him. And then the people's sins had not been atoned for. Can you imagine how the community must have felt? Will there ever be a priest that we know when he goes in? That his sacrifice is always accepted. And year after year after year after year, they thought about this reality. Yet with Jesus, the great high priest of a better covenant, made with better promises, he enters into the Holy of Holies with his own blood. And as the priest, he offers himself as the sacrifice, yet the sacrifice, who is also the priest, cannot remain dead. He must live again to ever make intercession for the people whom he represents. Whereas the priest of the Old Covenant, we never really knew, would their sacrifice be accepted? But then three days after Jesus makes his sacrifice, the priest walks out of the tomb, and the tomb is still empty to this day. 
And the reason why it's empty is because God has accepted the sacrifice of our great high priest, which tells me and tells you this morning that though my sins be dark as crimson, they will be washed whiter than snow. And the reason why I know that is because that priest did what no other priest could ever do. Resurrection was his breaking forth from that heavenly temple to let us know this priest was heard. He did not remain in the grave because he could not remain dead. And because he did not remain dead, we know for certain that God has accepted his sacrifice for our sins. Why? For he was delivered over to death for our sins, and then he was raised for our justification. You and I do not have to wonder or worry about whether or not Jesus' work on our behalf was sufficient or if it was effective to save us from our sins. His resurrection from the dead testifies to this reality. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world, the great high priest makes a full and effective atonement for all that place their trust in him. The penalty of their sins is paid in full. And those who have placed their trust in him need never fear the day that they stand before God on that final day because they have already come to know the blessing of God because of their union with Christ through faith. And he has already now declared, you are not guilty. You are forgiven. You have been justified because of your faith in the Son of God. Enter into your rest my good and faithful servant. You have nothing to fear. Your sins have been paid for. This is one of the lessons that Romans chapter 4 verses 23 through 25 teaches us that our only hope of standing on that day is if we place our trust in Jesus Christ, the one who has delivered himself over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Friends, your sins deserve the judgment of death, but God, who is rich in mercy, made a way for your sins to be dealt with forever through Jesus Christ. This morning, every sin you've ever committed and will commit can be paid for through that sacrifice if you simply believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you believe this morning? How can you make that type of offer, preacher? that you can tell me for certain that my sins can be cleansed because the grave is empty, which is why we've gathered this morning. That's why Easter is good. Not simply because of what will happen, but because of what happens now in the hearts and lives of those that put their trust in him. Would you place your hope in the one who died in your place and rose again that you might be declared a child of God by faith? Would you pray with me this morning? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.